This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, October 16th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. The U.S. health sector is far from a free market. Fortunately, there are corners of the U.S. health sector where market forces have had room to breathe, where markets have made health care better, more affordable, and more secure, and importantly, more universal. Michael Cannon is author of the new book, Recovery, A Guide to Reforming the U.S. Health Sector. It's available today. Policy people love charts, Michael Cannon. And if there's one chart in healthcare that I think about often, it is the one showing the uh, groups of services or products in healthcare that have shown steady, sustained declines in price and those that have done the opposite. And uh, this seems to make a clear point, but is is that really how it works? That is, there are these groups of products and services where the price tends to fall and others where it tends to flatline or go up. In my most recent book, Recovery, a guide to reforming the U.S. health sector, we've got one of those charts. We compiled it from a series of studies that uh, that economists and employers and health insurance companies did. Uh, uh, experimenting with one innovation, just one innovation, uh, because they were trying to get the prices down for these very expensive services uh, that that you know hospitals or labs they thought were just gouging them because they could, because they had market power. They were monopolists or they uh, uh, had had so much market power that they could get away with this stuff. And and the employers and insurance companies were just at their wits end. So they deployed this experiment, this this innovation, this idea, and they saw something remarkable. Prices fell. Prices fell for CT scans and MRIs and lab results and and shoulder arthroscopy and hip replacements and knee replacements. Significant price increases. At the high-priced hospitals, uh, the price of hip and knee replacements fell by 37% over two years. Now, this isn't that unusual in healthcare, or at least it's not unheard of, because when you get generic drugs entering the market, the price of that uh, of that drug, that molecule plummets. Uh, the, the trick is getting the generics to market past all the regulations. But when it happens, when you get competition like that, you can see prices fall. But when it comes to services like these, that is really pretty unique. We don't see those sort of price reductions in healthcare that we expect to see every place else. We expect prices to come down uh, in other areas of the economy because that's what markets do. So you might ask, what is this experiment that they were doing? What was this special sauce that was driving down prices and making healthcare more universal? Because if you want universal healthcare, the prime directive, job number one, is to get those prices down because that's what makes things universal. That's what's allowing us to keep a 8 billion people alive on the planet right now is that we've driven down the price of food to such an extent that we've been able to achieve this marvel that was never before possible in all of human history. So the good news is there is that something out there. If, if what you want is universal health care, there's great news here. There's something out there that will make healthcare more universal and drive prices down significantly over a very short period and then keep driving them down. The bad news is that it is market mechanisms. What those insurance companies and employers did was they let the consumer control the money. They put the consumer in a position where the consumer was price conscious, where the consumer cared about the price 
of that hip replacement, of that knee replacement, those lab tests and so forth. And when the consumer was on the hook for the full marginal cost, the full marginal cost of the services they were receiving, they shopped around because the savings then went to them instead of to an insurance company or to an employer. They behaved differently when it was their money on the line. They demanded lower prices and they got them. Lower prices where employers and insurance companies, for all of their bargaining power, could not get those prices down. 37% price reductions for hip and knee replacements at those high price hospitals. But all through this decentralized market mechanism of price sensitive consumers. So, what does this, what does this mean for healthcare? Well, what it means, as I explain in my new book, Recovery, what it means is that we could be getting lower prices for all sorts of healthcare goods and services, that healthcare is not. It's a special sector of the economy, but it is not special in the sense that market mechanisms don't work. It's, it's special in the sense that it's more complicated than other sectors and more important than many other sectors of the economy. And so we need market mechanisms to deal with that complexity and still bring people the very essential services that they need. Uh, and, and we can get prices down not just for the shoppable services like lab tests and shoulder arthroscopy, but also for emergency services, also for services that most people consider unshoppable by making consumers price sensitive when they're purchasing their health insurance as well. It is maddening often for me to go to a physician's office or uh, you know, undertake an appointment at a, a doctor's office. You are made to wait for long periods of time sometimes. When you dare to ask the question that almost no one seems to ask in those settings, which is what is the price of X? What is the price of this appointment that you and I are having right now? The, the stunned silence in the room from physicians, I don't necessarily expect the person delivering the care to know the exact dollar amount, but it is extremely alienating to be in that situation and uh, be with medical professionals who not only don't know what the price is, they don't know who to talk to to understand what the price is. Another one of the charts that I included in my new book, Recovery, has data from the OECD comparing different countries in terms of how much of their health spending is voluntary spending versus how much of it is compulsory, how much of it is the government forcing you to spend. And in the United States, it's about 83% of health spending that's compulsory. That makes us about, everyone thinks, or a lot of people think, that the United States has a free market in healthcare. But really, we have one of the most unfree markets in healthcare because 83% of US health spending is compulsory. That makes us about number eight among OECD nations in terms of share of health spending that's compulsory. And we're only about three percentage points behind number one. We're very close to the top in terms of government control of health spending. So what does that have to do with Caleb when he goes into his physician's office and asks for the price of something? Well, that conditions the entire health sector to serve not the consumer because the consumer can't, if I'm not getting price information, I can't take my money and go elsewhere like I should be able to. If my employer chooses a health plan that puts up with this sort of nonsense, uh, I can't just switch to another health plan without the government penalizing me. The tax preference for employer-sponsored insurance, in effect, creates a penalty if you want to take your money and go to a different insurance company. 
one that is a little more exacting, one that provides that sort of or demands that sort of price information. Uh, if you and lots of other people want to purchase less health insurance, so there is, so that you and millions of other people would be paying for health care or your health care directly, like primary care with with cash, where you, like the people in those experiments we discussed, care about the money that you're spending and millions of people are demanding price information, then those physicians' offices would have to provide that price information, just like the hospitals did when the patients who needed hip replacements were demanding that price information. But if you purchase less health insurance, if you and millions of other people do that, then the government penalizes you because the government penalizes you for every dollar implicitly. It's not an explicit penalty, but in effect, the effect is the, the same as an explicit penalty. It penalizes you for every dollar of your earnings that you take as cash wages instead of more comprehensive health insurance. And so we end up with these very comprehensive health insurance plans that pay for primary care and other services that people should be able to afford out of pocket. The providers try to get the best price that they possibly can out of all the different insurance companies and all those negotiations have to be secret. And so when you go in there, the rare cash patient who wants to know what the price is, they don't they don't they have no idea because the whole their whole business model and the whole health sector is it is not set up to meet your needs. It is set up to meet the needs of the third-party payers and the providers who are trying to get as much money out of them as possible. You as the patient are just along for the ride. So what I recommend in recovery is basically two things. One, you change who controls the money so that it's not your employer who's controlling that money. It's not the government who's controlling that money that's purchasing your medical care. You're the one controlling it. And then your physician's office, in that sort of a health sector, your physician's office would have to provide you that information, or you could freely choose to take your money someplace else, go to a physician who will provide you that price information. Just watch how fast healthcare providers will snap to and provide consumers with that information. It's what they did in that series of experiments we discussed earlier. And the other change that I recommend is getting rid of all of the barriers to competition and innovation and quality improvement and lower cost care that state and federal regulations put in the way of innovators who want to offer Caleb something better. I bring that up mainly because sometimes I'm in a bad mood and uh, when I'm at a doctor's appointment, I'm confident that they're not going to know the information that I'm asking for. And sometimes I just use it as an opportunity to give a speech. You do it just to confirm. But Michael, <laughs> just, just to clarify, you don't know this information that is available to me in almost every other uh, arena in which I might be charged a price for some sort of service. You're trying to educate them too. Isn't that interesting <laughs> that when you go to all these other providers of all sorts of goods and services, they all have the price for you. But here in your Profession. In fact, it's out front. It's out front often. It's on a sign in front of the store announcing the price of something. I can't get away from the prices. They are screaming them at me. When it comes to business models, I know that our beloved colleague, Dr. Jeffrey Singer, has rewritten the Hippocratic Oath for the purposes of making it clear that the enterprise of healthcare ought to be given some consideration when it comes to this edict of do no harm. And I think that's correct. 
it's not just the individual interaction with the patient where physicians and nurses and other clinicians should be adhering to that to that principle of first do no harm it's also in how they set up their business practices and in how they lobby the government for better laws regarding healthcare uh, i want to offer a word of caution though because the idea that physicians should follow that maxim of do no harm when they're organizing their uh, or setting up their business model is one that incumbent physicians have used to block competition from business models that provide that really excel on many dimensions of quality, uh, but that the physicians just didn't want to compete with. So they went to the government and they said, please take away the consumer's choice of that business model over there because we think it's unethical and we think it would do harm to consumers. And what they ended up doing was protecting themselves from competition, driving up the price of medical care and reducing the quality of medical care with regulation because those regulations took away the consumer's right to make their own decisions about which healthcare providers were going to treat them. So yes, my answer is, Physicians and other clinicians should adhere to that maximum when putting their business practices together, but they should even even more importantly, they should adhere to that maxim, as Jeff Singer points out, when they are lobbying state and federal officials for better healthcare laws. And the way to make sure that you're doing no harm to patients is to make sure you're you are not lobbying for anything that would take away their right to make their own health decisions whether that's a decision about what they're going to put in their body what sort of treatments they can choose whether it's a decision about who's going to treat them if a right to healthcare means anything it means you have a right to choose your doctor or your nurse practitioner or the uh, healthcare facility that treats you and yet clinicians Physicians mostly, but also uh, healthcare facilities like hospitals have gone to the government and said, please take these choices away from consumers uh, for their own good. You have a hard time making the case that you're uh, helping consumers by taking away their agency and taking away their right to, to make their own medical decisions. Michael Cannon is author of the new Cato book, Recovery, A Guide to Reforming the U.S. Health Sector, available today. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And thank you for listening.